Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have those who help others create their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in faithfully every week are all of the above, including me, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also take a moment, subscribe to us on iTunes. You'll get fresh content every week. You'll get immediate access to over 230 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topic relevant to business creators just like you, and every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you. So, let's dive right in. Today, we're going to be talking about search engine optimization. Um, As I frequently like to say, search engine marketing, because we have seen that evolution in the marketplace, but many of our listeners are still very familiar with the term SEO or search engine marketing. I've been in business for about 15 years, and I've seen how SEO has evolved and how it's changed over the years. I've noticed that certain things have come and gone, those hot flashes in the pan that just disappeared, went poof, and then the things that have remained consistent, no matter how many times folks have said, oh, this is dead, like backlinks are dead, or keywords are dead, or keyword density is dead. The fact is, is our experience is there are certain things with search engine optimization that will always be constant. And there are many different approaches to quality search engine optimization. And part of what we're going to learn today is a unique approach to getting the information you need in order to effectively engage in search engine optimization, or if you choose to call it that, search engine marketing. To help us with that today, we have Rebecca Gill of web i think it's web savvy marketing yes um and just to tell you a little bit about rebecca she has a well-rounded business background and over 15 years of experience in sales and online marketing in addition to running the day-to-day activities of her company web savvy marketing rebecca also provides full service seo consulting one-on-one seo coaching she publishes online seo courses hosts the weekly seo podcast and teaches online seo boot camps She loves to teach the latest SEO strategies and tactics to others, helping businesses grow their online footprint. And I can tell you that my personal assistant, Princess Alessandra, is so excited by this topic. She's pacing wildly across the top of my desk and has just knocked my webcam onto the floor. Thank God the Business Creators Radio Show is a radio show. Rebecca, come on in. The weather's fine. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And likewise. So what we want to do here, some of our listeners may have a separate tab open right now to answer the question, who is Rebecca Gill? What is Web Savvy Marketing? While they do that, what I want to do before we get into the main thrust of search engine optimization, search engine marketing, the way you're going to share with us today, is give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us about a bit about your personal journey and what's brought you from where you began to where you are today, serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Okay, I'm happy to do so. So while most people in my industry, which is predominantly the WordPress industry, know me as like a speaker or business owner, consultant, and really polished, uh, my background is anything but. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, and I was, I mean, if I could just say a hot mess, you can't even begin to understand the hot mess that I was. Came from a very troubled home with a a mentally and physically sick mom and um, emancipated myself at age 11 and became a ward of the state. I moved up into northern Michigan and I I took refuge in my extended family and kind of bounced around and ended up with my grandma who raised me until I turned 18 and she passed away. Um, but that was really the foundation of the business me because I'm, I, you know, I always say that um, everything good came from my grandma inside me, and it was a village who raised me and taught me the value of hard work. 
and truly, I think that that resonates with my approach to SEO and, and how I really um, attack it and, and, and teach others to attack it as well. Right. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the WordPress community, and I think most of our listeners use WordPress. We have some that use other platforms, and I don't really pick a favorite platform because I'm not a developer, uh, and I'm not in the development game anymore. So to me, it's whatever serves your needs in such a way that you spend less time editing and maintaining and more time educating and monetizing. I personally prefer WordPress because of its flexibility and its expandability, so whatever floats your boat. Uh, but when we think WordPress, we think plug-in. And what I'd like <laughs> to do is start off by having you explain to us why search engine optimization is a process and not a plugin, because there are folks who say, "Ooh, an SEO plugin!" Now I'm gonna have SEO, yay! Yeah, that's exactly it. And I have, you know, I've done full-hour presentations on just that subject because it is so critical. Because it, it's just very misunderstood. Now there are a number of good plugins for um, SEO for WordPress. Uh, the Yoast plugin is my favorite. There's also All-in-One SEO. But a lot of users think they just need to install that plugin and they're good to go and like there's this magical fairy dust that's sprinkled on their website. And that's not at all the case. I mean, SEO is a, is a process that is, um, it takes research and strategy and planning and execution and it's, you know, it's multi-months. It's not something that's just a plugin. And it's funny, I'm doing a webinar next month on the SEO plugin um, Yoast because a lot of people, and I would tell you 90% of the websites I get a hold of, I go in there, they're not even they've not even configured the plugin, they've not set up settings, they've not they're not using it, and yet they think that their site is really, you know, SEO friendly, which it's it's a false sense of security. And it's always been my goal for like the last couple of years to change that mentality and teach people the right process and you know what really is SEO and how they can use it to their advantage because I'm a firm believer in anybody can learn SEO and anybody can do SEO. It's just a matter of will you allow yourself to do it in a systematic way? Yeah, uh, and for those who believe that, oh, I have a plug-in, now I have SEO, uh, I, I need to ask them, have they ever attempted to optimize one blog post using the Yoast <laughs> system, which I'm very familiar with? Do you know how many steps you have to go through to turn those dots green? And not all the dots need to be green, and the Yoast team says that as well, and people get that in their head, and then they start to over-optimize, and things don't even make sense. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's funny because as smart as that team is and as much as they've tried to give education to the community and the people that use it, there's just a whole bunch of people that don't use it right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like I, I knew that as well. I mean, because it's literally impossible to turn every dot green. As an example, I've tried it, and what I've noticed sometimes is uh, as you turn some dots green, it turns other dots that were previously green, yellow, or red because the rules may end up contradicting each other. So if you would, they would listen and read the actual documentation behind the Yoast plugin, they would understand that it is a science, and science is something that is based in significant, to a significant degree on hypothesis, which is not necessarily fact and is subject to change. Because when we are trying to determine science, we are often engaging in conjecture and prediction. So you could have, theoretically, all the, light, the, the red dots turn green today, and then some new role of SEO emerges tomorrow, and they, it's all irre irrelevant. So can you think of any funny stories, because I love stories, of what you've seen happen when somebody tried to, shall we say, and we can confine this to Yoast, or we can talk about just the whole search engine optimization strategy in general, what's happened when they've tried to turn all the dots green? In in most cases, they don't even try to get the dots green, right? They just they don't even okay. look down there, um, and they don't even use their keyword phrase in the post. When the when the people that do look at the dots and try to do it green, they end up over optimizing it, so it looks like a computer generated, and it really just coughed up the keyword all over the page because they've got it all over in headers and the text and, in, and you know embedded in the images, which is not at all what Google wants. Google wants you to create user-friendly content that produces a positive user experience. And when you're so focused on those green dots, you create just a cluster that is 
anything but a positive user experience. And um, it is funny because it just, as much as that tool is designed to help, it can definitely stray people down a, a rabbit hole <laughs> of, of no goodness at all. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just hilarious what I and what I've seen people get into debates about. Uh, well, but my keyword density is only 2.98%, or we haven't named the, the the page correctly. You know what I still see to this day, and I want to get your thoughts on this, maybe we have a few people that are just really smart, or maybe we have a few people that are really missing the boat, is it seems like every single thing they post on their blog has as the opening key, uh, has as the opening of the title that key phrase they're trying to optimize their entire website before. Is that appropriate or is that overkill? Uh, well, so you only want to use, you, you only want to focus a keyword phrase on a given page. It, it can be elsewhere right. in the website, but it doesn't need to be the leading, you know, the leading um, piece of, of data on everything on the website. And I have seen that before, and even recently I was working with a client and I went to go into their site to you know to look at something and I saw that on a portion of their website their developer hard coded their primary keyword phrase on every single page and the H1 header so every time the search engines okay. would go to any page all they would see right away is that one keyword phrase over and over and over again which is super confusing and somehow that developer thought that that was the right approach and the client never even caught it um, but that's the kind of stuff that you know it just it 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 happens and and it, the an SEO isn't just an end user um, problem. It is something that both developers and end users together need to work on so that they can you know really get it right. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, what I'm already starting to hear is a, a challenge question, shall we say? If a person can do SEO on their own, is this something that requires them to hire somebody to do it for them, or is there a way that they could do it themselves if they understood some of the principles behind it? I absolutely believe people can do it themselves. I am self-taught um, with SEO. I, you know, I learned it 15 years ago. While and I uh, primarily while my daughter was sitting watching Teletubbies, I would be sitting, you know, trying to teach myself SEO in my spare time. Anybody can learn right. it. It's just a matter of. You know, do you have the patience to, to, you know, to learn the nuances of it and to follow a very structured process? Um, my goal is always, you know, to first educate people, and if they can do it on their own, teach them to do it on their own. That's why I have online courses. That's why I have a podcast and things, and I do free webinars. If they can't, and it's usually due to resources, they just don't have the time, or they, they start to get into it and they're like, ooh, this – this is like, you know, you're poking my eyes out. I can't stand this. I'd rather you do it for me. Then I will quote them to do an SEO consultant project. But I always want them to do it themselves because you're teaching them to fish as opposed to just giving them a fish. You're giving them a, a lifelong tool that they can now use in many different ways, and it can be life-changing. I mean, I've seen it both for myself and for, you know, other people, and that's, a, that's power. You know, you're, you're, you're empowering them to change their life, and I love that. Yeah, I, I like that too. So I've heard you say, and we mentioned this in the in the green room before we went live here, uh, your statement that quality SEO starts with questions. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So when when I start with anything, whether it's a, you know my my main SEO course, which is eight hours long, or I'm like with working on it with a client on a consulting project. The first thing we do is start answering questions, and it's not questions just about you. It's questions about your target market. Who are you serving, right? What are the, you know, what are the, what makes them up? You know, are there groups of people? What are the, the characteristics of them? What problems do they have? You know, what do they struggle with? I call it pain points. What are their individual pain points? And each group might have different pain points. And then you try to relate it back to you and figure out what do you do that helps solve their problems? How do you relieve those pain points and make their lives better? That's the heart of SEO because then when you start to do keyword research, your keyword research and your content marketing should be based on those questions and the answers to those questions. A lot of people want to jump way to the end and just start writing content, and they're like, well, I don't know why I'm not ranking. Well, you're not ranking, and you're also not probably converting your, your traffic because it's not written to solve someone's problems. And that's the heart of search. You know, as long as there's the Google search box 
and people have access to the web, they're going to go there and look for answers to their problems, whether it's, it's you know, am I dying of cancer or how do I potty train my dog? You know, those people have problems and they're going to search and, and you figure those questions, those problems out by asking questions at the very beginning of the process. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that if you follow a formula like that where you are asking the relevant questions, not only of yourself, but of your audience, that can help you avoid some pitfalls as we, as we get into it. Uh, and I have, in pre preparation for our conversation today, I've thought about some of the steps that I've seen folks take when they attempt to do SEO on their own. And we're saying, yes, you should do SEO on your own. You should learn how to do that. You should know how to fish so that you can continue to feed your business by dipping the right hooks with the right bait into the search engine pond, so to speak, to use a, an analogy. Uh, so here are some of the steps that I see that people take is they want to make sure that they have the world's best domain name. How important is that? Not important hardly at all anymore. I, I mean, really? Google, yeah, Google had had algorithm changes a long time ago that really degraded having keywords in your domain. Not important. Now having d keywords in the URL as part of the domain, that's great because that helps the search engines understand that piece of content better. But the core root domain itself does not need keywords. Right. So basically what we're talking about is the slugs. So your domain can be pretty much anything, within reason, of course. I mean, from a branding perspective, I would imagine your domain should still make some sort of sense to what you do. But yes. we're talking about the forward slash part is where the magic is. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And if you can build in some some content silos in there so that your, your, you know, your, your, the structure of URLs have some intelligence to it, even better. That, I mean, definitely helps both users and search engines alike. Okay, now here's a question from one of my clients, actually, and I'm so happy to have you here because I've been wanting to get an answer to this for a long time. Let's say the person is doing a blog post. Should the forward slash part be the exact title of the blog post, including all the ands, ifs, ors, or buts, or should the URL be somewhat more tightly organized so that it removes things like and, or, and but? so that it gives more preference to the main words, which form the key words of the key phrase, or does anything I say even matter? <laughs> it does matter. So search engines and human visitors like shorter URLs, right? It's just it's when you have a shorter URL, it's easier for the search engines to crawl that URL and process it. When you see really long URLs, it's more difficult for everybody involved. And you'll notice on page one of Google, there's, it's very rare that you're gonna have a super long URL there ranking, right? Now, do you have to take out all of the little words like ands and things like that? No, but, they, but when you do, it does help that URL be more concise and it's easier for everyone to use. So what I do, if I have a longer title, I will bring that title down to a manageable set of words and I keep the most important ones. Um, definitely, I want to keep the keyword phrase in there, and then if there's other other words that will help, uh, you know, just kind of give give structure to that URL, then I will use those as well. But that's a great question because a lot of people have that they they get confused. Like that that Yoast plugin we were talking about, you know, sometimes it rec it recommends you take those words out or it takes them out for you, and then right. you know, but people but people think they need to have it exactly the same as the title. So it is it is very confusing. Um, you know, it's no wonder people get frustrated with SEO and all the changing rules that are involved in it. I can I can imagine. And going along with that question, let's say that you have a blog title, and let's say it's about 10 words long, right? And it could be a very engaging 10 words that would make the listener or the reader sit up and say, wow, I want to know why number three would surprise me. But then what folks will do is they'll use, like let's say they're using WordPress, they'll edit the permalink and make that, your, that, that forward slash part or the slug or whatever we call it, search hyphen engine hyphen optimization hyphen tips, even <laughs> if that exact string is not even in the title of the post of the page. Does that help or hurt? Yeah, I mean, people need to use some common sense when they're doing things like that. You know, first and foremost, is your keyword phrase in the URL? If it is, yes. 
Do any of the other words within the title help assist that URL and help the search engines understand that's what the content is about? And you know, and then then be done, right? It doesn't need to have like you know a bunch of grandiose phrases thrown in because it just starts to make it long and again difficult for people to use. Right, right. I I I like that as well. So going along going along with so we've spoken about the power of the domain, the forward slash piece of it, and uh, and things along those lines. Uh, and I don't want to necessarily have you give an exact figure because we know this changes over time. So I'm going to ask you this more from a trending perspective, if you're able to answer it that way. Uh, we hear the phrase keyword density. What percentage of your content needs to be that keyword or key phrase? When approaching search engine optimization and search engine marketing, what should we be bearing in mind when attempting to answer that question? So the top SEO consultants all will tell you that keyword density is no longer an important ranking factor. Does Google, does Google need to see the keyword phrase in the content? Yes. I like to have it in the URL and the H1 header and the, the intro paragraph and then some place, you know, throughout the rest of the content. But Google's getting more and more advanced with semantic search. It's looking for um, uh, it's looking at content differently. So it doesn't just look at that keyword density anymore. Now it's starting to understand, or it's trying to understand how that content relates to the world around you. And, it, and in doing so, it looks at things like synonyms and other phrases that would help it understand the content. For example, if I write about apples, or just the, the singular apple, will Google know whether I'm talking about the apple that you eat or say Apple, the company who would produce a technology product, it's going to look at the other content inside, or the other the other words that you use inside your content to help figure it out. Am I talking about delicious or color or taste? And if I do, it's using that type of um, phrases and words to figure out that you're talking about the food. If I if I use things like monitor and support and keyboard, it's going to start thinking that I'm talking about the company or even maybe like stocks and founders and things like that. Those those words and that assistance that you give Google is much more important today than the exact density number that you're using. And that's because Google is using semantic search and it's gotten much more um, advanced in how it views content and how it uses that content to solve a problem that the search engine, the search person is entering into the um, box. Right, precise, precisely. So that's, that I think is a really good way of looking at it because again, you know, we start hearing things like 3%, 4%, things like that. Well, okay, so my blog post is no good if it only has 2.8 and if it has 5, is it too much? And what if your post is, or your page isn't even really that long? How many times can you say search engine optimization says for somebody looks at it and sees it's an obvious keyword stuffing effort? Yeah, yeah, and 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 they don't look at that 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 kind of flow anymore. But the interesting thing is about you know like the shorter content versus the longer content. The average page one ranking of content right now is about seventeen hundred words. So that's pretty long, right? You know, for for a piece of content. And that's that is part of probably part of the reason why the density is no longer that important because again you don't want to have with that long of content the keyword all over it wouldn't read right it wouldn't feel natural and you know and it wouldn't pro provide a good user experience. Right, 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 right. So uh, now that we've now that we've established that, uh, what is the good thought process for the length of your content? Because now we get into and this is a question that comes up a lot from folks who do guest writing for other sites and they're given editorial guidelines. And somebody mentioned to me just last week, as a matter of fact, they said, well, you know, I, I do guest writing for a couple of different blogs. And this one says my, my posts have to be no more than 500 words. And this other one says they can't be less than 750 words. Uh, what's the answer to this question? What do I do? Which, which one's right? Which one's worth my time? It's going to depend on the nature of your t content, you know, and are you a local business? Are you trying to compete on a national level? If you're, But if you're trying to compete on a national level, you have to have content that's at least a 1,000 words, and it needs to be more towards that 2,000 words. 
Um, I manage the guest blogging program for a client, and I don't accept anything under a thousand words for them per you know per content wow. piece because there's just no way that you're going to be able to articulate any type of topic and compete online if something's smaller because there is so much competition and the internet has a lot of of data now available. So you know, and people want to have more complete answers. We're we're expecting more when we're we're visiting websites. So yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking about your existing content, especially if it's older content, you know, think about the the level of content and the length that you have there. I don't want you to stretch it out like we did in high school and we had to write a you know a, a term paper and just <laughs> fill it. Right. Right. We don't want you to do that. But I want you to expand what you're talking about, right? Think about those other things that relate to your topic and how you can make that piece of content better. You know, don't just think longer, think better. How can I better answer this question? How can I better solve someone's problem? And it, when you start to think of uh content in that way, it naturally expands itself, right? It naturally gets longer because you're really trying to be um, the best answer that you can give. And if you have a question about your industry and what content's required for your industry, just go and go into Google with a fresh browser with no history, put in the keyword phrase that you want to rank for, and look at the content that's ranking on page one. How long is that content? That will help you determine, you know, for your industry and your niche, how long your content needs to be to be able to rank. Right. So what I want to list our listeners to hear, I mean, we've been here for about a half hour, so we're about halfway through this, is what we keep hearing again and again and again is that the answers to these questions we're working for absolute answers to has some subjectivity to it that depends on your business, your market, your niche, your audience, your message, your offering. So what we want you to gather from listening to Rebecca and I over this hour here is how important it is to understand the process of putting the right bait on the hook and dipping into the search engine pond so that the right whales bite it. Or if you're looking for a whole bunch of minnows, how to feed a whole bunch of minnows, depending on what it is you're looking for. But please take that to heart. There is not necessarily one right answer well your blog post has to be 850 words if it's 849 google will ignore it if it's 851 google will ignore it It doesn't quite work that way uh it it doesn't correct (laughs) yeah and 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 like so you know we talked about that yes plugin but that's what that plugin's supposed to do it's not supposed to be your end all it's just supposed to remind you of things to consider right you know have you considered this you know and and that's that's the goal of it and that's why those dots are there but it's you know it's not like you have to have that otherwise you're going to go to SEO jail. It you know that's that's not the purpose of it. It's just trying to be a guide for you. But you have to know what's best for your audience, your industry, your niche, and who you're serving because that's the ultimate answer. And it is not black and white. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of variance in there. Okay, so let's get into frequency here because when people are hearing that they got to write these longer blog posts, they're going to say, oh goodness. I, I can't write all that, and, and, and let me and let me put this in real terms. My book, uh, which I recently published, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. Uh, if you look this thing up on Amazon, uh, it uh, lists the book as having 304 pages. Uh, I know numbered pages it has 294, but then again, you know, we don't number the uh, table of contents and stuff like that. It's a pretty thick book, and it has a very prominent spine when it's on somebody's bookshelf. That being said. This whole thing has a word count of barely 65,000 words. So you're talking about only writing 165th of Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. Some <laughs> of the feedback I've gotten in this thing is it's a really long book. So imagine taking a big chunk of that as one blog post. So that being said, uh, what are we going to do about this? Now, I will also disclose that my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, is based on a compilation of about five years of my writing. And I don't have the exact count right in front of me, but I think it's something like 70 to 75 blog posts and or articles that I either published or didn't publish on various different blogs and platforms that I put together to uh, make into this coherent story of how we study Groundhog Burrows to uh, understand business success. So guesstimate, if you were to take an average, each one of these authors, Articles or posts might have been about 700 to 800 words, give or take. But I'm saying you tell you this is five years worth of my work. 
So I'm trying to get our audience to say, holy crap, because I want you to write in. I want you to write in and possibly reassure them. How often do they have to do this? What frequency are we looking for? Because we're familiar with us being told the more often you update your blog, the more Google fields your site is relevant. What are we aiming for? You know, there's no clear answer to that either because it's, again, going to depend on, you know, who you are, what you do, and who you serve. It's very industry-based. And, and you know, so, if you're, so, for example, if you are a food blogger, right, and I know the food blogging, um, you know, niche, they publish a lot because they're constantly creating, new, you know, recipes or trying out recipes. You would have to publish quite a bit because your competition is publishing quite a bit. But now let's ask if they say that you are um, a B2B software company and, you know, you, you publish technical information, most likely your competitors are only, you know, published in like once or twice a month or maybe at best once a week, right? And so you have to look at that and, and I, I don't want you to follow your competition, but to stay competitive and to stay relevant that kind of data needs to go into into your your thought process to decide how often you need to publish. I will tell you that the search engines, as well as your users and your real human visitors, would much rather you publish less often and have it of quality than just publish to publish, right? And 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 don't forget that being fresh also means going back and updating your old content. Um, Google definitely encourage us encourages us as webmasters and bloggers to go back and revisit our old content, freshen it up, make it more relevant to today's world so that it can, it can you know, appear in search and it can live on, especially if you have like evergreen cornerstone content that's really important. Keep it fresh and go back and update it often. Okay. Now, let me throw a little bit of a zinger at you here. So I do have clients that do that, that will go back to their previous content. And they will update it for a couple of different reasons. One of the reasons that they will update it is because they're teaching something different. Or maybe, let's just say hypothetically, it's an article about search engine optimization, but Google released some panda or alligator or something that made the 2013 <laughs> content irrelevant. But they don't want to throw away that blog post because it had 100 great comments on it or it got linked to from – uh, somebody else's Fortune magazine article. For whatever reason, they do not want to lose that URL. They do not want to lose that basic content. So what you're saying is they should from time to time be able to go into those articles and say, hey, you know what, I need to edit this because this is no longer relevant. Here are some things that go in, in, into that process. Should they, at the bottom, add an update, number one? Number two, should they change the title of the post to reflect that it is updated? Should they add a little disclaimer at the top that says, this has been updated um, as of such and such a date to reflect X, X, Y, and Z? Should they redate the blog post? So let's say they want to update it and then remarket it, uh, but the posting date was June 19, 2013. Should they redate it to April of 2018 or May of 2018 to make it a quote-unquote new article and put it back at the top of the pile? I know I threw a number of little questions at you, but these are things that have come up for my clients. Those are all great questions, though. I mean, because that's what real people are thinking about, you know, especially after I just said, oh, go back and update old content. So to answer your question, you know, my rule of thumb would be if you made minor changes to it, which I have done to, you know, blog posts before, and like just you given an update to it, I would just add in that, you know, that this post was last updated, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would say like what what was edited, right? Like what what area of, right. the, of the post was updated? If 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 so, but what if you had an existing post and you went and revamped it, right? It is completely like up to date now for today. And it, say it was like a blog post from five years ago on keyword density, and now I come in today and I'm like, well, you know what? It you know it, it's it's much less important than what it was. Here's what's also important, and so I'm really revamping it to today's standards. That's a rewrite, and so I would keep the same URL. I, you know, I would keep everything the same, but I would give it a new publish date because it is really new content. That way you get to preserve the URL and the incoming traffic and the backlinks and the social shares and all that, you know, the SEO goodness of it, but you're giving it a completely new, fresh update, which is good for everybody. 
Right. So basically, like if you're using WordPress or any blogging software, um, even though the publish date was showing June 19, 2013, you just go to the place where you can edit the publishing date and make it today's date and then just republish it as such. Yes, absolutely. Now, some people will have the the month and the year within their URL structure. And if yeah, that's this the is case, my next, this, is my, this is my next question. Go ahead. Yep, I figured you would. So, th so if that's yeah. the case, um, you can go in and you can up, you know, you can um, give a, a fresh a fresh date to that. But if you ever change the URL for existing content, or Susan asked the date. If you ever change the yeah the URL itself for existing content, you need to make sure that you create a 301 redirect. Because that's because right. as soon as you change your URL, you restart the clock in your SEO because it's a new piece of content. You know, because that's like your social security number here in the U.S. It identifies who you are, and you you know you, right. you'll lose that incoming traffic. But if if you create a 301 redirect, you preserve incoming traffic, you preserve your SEO, and everything is good. And the search engines understand that you modified a URL, but the content is still there, and they should be transferring all that SEO goodness and that traffic to this new URL. And they comply with that, and they comply with it quickly. All right. So, so uh, let's, uh, let's not uh, get, to, uh, you know, get to scary here, because now people are hearing, uh, oh, no. Does this mean, you said 301. That's like 301, 404. Now we're talking <laughs> about HT access. Uh, do I have to edit my HT access file? Oh, uh, heck no. What about, what about, what about Pretty Link? What about one of those things? Will that do the job? So what I recommend people do, if you have a, if you have an IT department, sure, have an HT access file because that is the cleanest way to, to manage 301 redirects. However, most of your audience, and including myself, do not want to go to a developer and, you know, when we have a change. And I don't want to go in there because I can totally screw stuff up. So oh, yeah. what I recommend is, the premium version of the Yoast SEO plugin for WordPress um, will will automatically create those for you. As soon as you change that URL, it'll ask you to, you know, for approval to create that 301 redirect. There's a plugin that I like to use called Redirection, uh, which for WordPress you just add it in. You can add easily in 301 redirects. You can update them. You can um, upload a whole spreadsheet of them. And it's just an easy way to make sure that your website or your blog stays healthy and you don't have to actually go into the code base to do it. Because, um, I mean, no one wants to have to go into code to, to keep their site healthy. And that's, that, those plugins create a great option for that. There are uh, 301 redirect managers on like Squarespace and I think Wix has one too. So it's not just WordPress. Those tools have, have um, like tables that you can go into and add in 301 redirects as well to try to keep everything healthy. Right. Uh, I like that. Uh, now, I know a lot of folks that use the very common Pretty Link plugin. Does that do the job? Um, I have never used Pretty Link, to be honest with you, so I can't answer that. Right, because I know, because let me, uh, you know, we have time here. Uh, let me just log into something here real quick. Uh, this will take me but a second, and I'm going to look for the, the magic that I think will help you either either answer this question or at least give us the questions to ask to think about this. So I just need to pop in my own website real quick and open up my Pretty Link plugin. Uh, one of the, one of the, it asks questions like this. Uh, for example, it's going to ask, uh, is it uh, a 301, a 302, or a 307 redirect? Gotcha. So the very first yeah. thing it asks, the very first thing it asks you is a drop-in. So what you're saying is if you want to, if you need to change the URL of a blog post because the date changed and you were using the month, day, what have you, just in the way you had your WordPress or whatever set up, or you're using a software that puts in the date whether you like it or not into the URL, but you've republished it, which changes the URL to redirect the old to the new, you just need to select 301 permanent, and that, will key, that will key Google that it's moved. Yeah, and your plugin that you just mentioned, because I pulled it up on um, the repository, so it does do that 301 redirect. So that's another route to do it. It's written by, excuse me, it's developed by Blair Williams, who's a very good developer. So, you know, great option to use as opposed to the one that I said. Just make sure that when you're doing that, you are selecting 301 versus the 302 or 307, because you want the search engines to understand that this is a permanent change, 
and they need to permanently update your ranking for the given URLs. Okay, good news. I was uh, I was worried we were going to have to go back to square one with uh, everything I've done with my websites in the no, very beginning. You're but the good news is it's pretty link will cover it. Yep, you're yeah. in good shape, and again, you're it's by a good developer, so you're safe. Right, right. So I want, what I want to do is I just want to make sure for our listeners, when we start talking about 301 and 404 and 702 and 412 and all that, that we don't have to get into confusing area codes with uh, with HT access and and putty and S S S L and all these other things that even I don't even know all the definitions of truth be told <laughs> just <laughs> change our blog post because I've seen people actually be afraid to do smart updating of content in other words to delete content that no longer matters just because they're afraid of the fact that because they've shown it to Google once that if they change it it will ruin the party and I've never no. believed that to be the case yeah no 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 I mean I, I always put I always think about Google not as like a negative they just are trying to create a positive user experience because think about what Google's goal is Google's goal is to make money how does Google make money by people coming back to that search box and searching and clicking on pay-per-click ads well people come to the search box because the organic listings are quality right so it needs a positive user experience in both pay-per-click and organic traffic how do you get that? It makes sure that you're just doing the right thing for the human visitor. So whenever you're thinking about SEO and if you ever, ever have any question about should you or should you not, come back to the human visitor. Ask yourself if what you want to do would be best serving for your human visitor. And if the answer is yes, then most of the time it's the same answer for SEO. If you have to, if you know the answer that you that comes to your to your, your gut right away is oh probably not that wouldn't be good for the human then it's not going to be good for SEO either and you need to go a different route. Right. Here's a debate that's been going on for as long as I've been involved in online marketing, which like you is about 15 years. Uh, should you have all of your stuff on one website, or does it sometimes make sense to have a couple different websites? Uh, I'll give you an example for my business. Uh, we have businesscreatorsinstitute.com, which is our primary, you know, primary domain for our consulting and coaching business. Uh, that's the one where um, I sporadically blog. We also have businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Uh, anybody listening to this right now is familiar with it because that is the, the, that is the website that is dedicated for our radio show and podcast. And I love being able to say to people, if you want to find a Business Creators Radio Show, just go to your favorite search engine, type Business Creators Radio Show. It'll be the number one search result. Plus, it allows us people to see a continuum of our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes and make it easy for our recurring guests to all have their posts linked to an author profile. So we, so it's a unique WordPress theme that uh, takes what was normally called the author stuff, adds functionality to it, and allows you to link different posts to it. It's very interesting how it works. So, like, Rebecca, if we were to have you here seven times, uh, we'd be able to pull up Rebecca Gill's author profile, and uh, which we've renamed the guest profile, and underneath it would list all of your episodes, each of which is an individual blog post. Plus, we found that it helps us get shared and linked to a bunch of other sites because each episode is its own blog post. Um, I also have a couple other blogs that I uh, have sort of let go, and I'm deciding whether or not to just take them down because I've either farmed them or they've outgrown their usefulness. And I have a website uh, for my book, Groundhog Days, an event not a business strategy. So in this case, I have a few different silos of what I think is important. And many of our other uh, clients are the same way. Many of our listeners are the same way. And I have AssessCommunicate.com hosted as a one-page website just so that any prospective lenders or, or credit agencies can see that uh, my business name has its own website. That's really all it's there for. Uh, so with all these things in mind, should we be trying to tr cram everything under one domain? And under what circumstances from a search engine perspective is it wise to split things up a little bit? So there's two different nuances there. One is the human, one is the search engines. It is easier right. to rank things under one domain because as soon as you start to split them off, now you have to build up domain authority with backlinks and, you know, and, and help the search engines understand what that domain is about. So it takes longer to rank from an SEO standpoint. However, you've got to come back to the human visitor. 
I mean, my Web Savvy site had custom design and development on it with SEO. Then we had this, we had the largest stock theme store for Genesis outside of Studio Press. Then I brought in SEO courses, and it started to become this beast, which it was difficult right. for people to move around. And so, it's, you know, I kind of said, okay, that's enough. We moved the, the courses for SEO over to the DIYSEOcourses.com uh, domain. Then I wanted to bring in a podcast, and I was like, okay, I, this needs its own domain because I don't want to clutter what we do for the web savvy. And as soon as I started to break stuff out, the humans that actually came to the site, they were like, thank you. It's so much easier for us to find stuff now. You, know, you have a lot of resources available with your events and stuff, but this, is, this makes it much easier. Thank you so much. Did it make it harder on me to rank stuff? Yes, because you're starting from scratch and all those new domains, just like, you know, I mean, my Web Savvy domain's been out there for nine years. It's got a lot of backlinks yeah. and activity on it, and I had to start right. from scratch for the other ones, but it was the right thing to do for the humans, and so I had to do it that way. Um, and, and again, that's like, you know, I keep saying you come back to those humans and let that be the deciding factor. Although I will tell you, don't break stuff off just to break it off. You know, it needs to make sense for, for everybody involved because I have, have had clients say, you know, we've got this going on, this new product. We want to create its own website. And even though we do that for a living and it would be an extra project and more revenue, I'm like, I don't really think that's the right thing to do. You're making more work for yourself. You know, you're having more maintenance and, you know, more. you have to restart the SEO on that domain. And in this case, it doesn't serve the human better. It will probably be more confusing than helpful. So you have to really weigh it back and forth, which is which is best for that human, and then take that route. Right. So let me, uh, so let me give you another uh, way of looking at this. Uh, one, of the, one of the websites I just said that I have hosted is www.com thegroundhogbook.com because I want people I want to be able to post on social media and various places that hey you want to get my book just go to thegroundhogbook.com which saves them the step of going to Amazon typing in the title hoping it pulls up the right one even though it always does but they could mess it up if they type the name wrong or something like that I want to make it real easy for them to do that but then here's a challenge if I were to simply take www.thegroundhogbook.com, go into my GoDaddy account and redirect it to something like businesscreatorsinstitute.com forward slash groundhogbook, then when we attempt to embed www.thegroundhogbook.com into social media, like say Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or something like that, the graph information, which is the way that causes it to display a certain picture with a certain set of words yep. underneath it, will not pick up because you're going cross-domain. Correct. Yeah. So that is it's, actually true. That is actually true because um, about three months ago, I talked a client of mine into hosting a separate domain just so that the promotion he was doing to get people into his Facebook group would show up nice when people embedded this URL into their social posts. Yeah, I mean, there, there's overrides you can do in WordPress for the, the graphics that show up, right, with social. Right. Although that's not going to solve the URL issue that you don't have that nice branding of the groundhogbook.com. Um, and right. with books, people, a lot of, you know, authors do create individual sites for those books because you have a whole promotional campaign that goes along with it, and you do want that branding of that unique URL. Um, and, right. and, you know, it, and the nice thing about this is it's a book. Right, Google's going to know exactly where to send people for this URL, and so you don't right. need all of that SEO value of keywords because it's the book. <laughs> so it's not exactly. going to hurt either way having it having it separate. And I do, in that that perspective, would definitely encourage authors to consider you know standalone websites for those books, especially if they're going to have different books with very different uh, you know genres and and topics of focus for them. Right, exactly. I mean, we also, um, I mean, we also have plans for this website. I mean, we have some pretty big plans for the website, actually. One of which is, in terms of uh, making it a more rich website, is uh, once we do the audiobook version, we're going to have a place where we can sell that. Because we're going to sell the audiobook version probably direct from our website rather than uh, running it through another service unless we decide to use Audible. We're just up in the air over that. But right now we're using Amazon for all our fulfillment just because we figured out by the numbers, by the time it's all said and done, we're actually ahead of the game just taking our royalties rather than processing it in-house. Uh, so we're happy with that. But uh, we also plan to expand its blog function and do a virtual book tour. 
And so that will create possibly 100 to 200 pieces of content for that site, which will make it very rich. And since, you know, this is a major book, it's not like some little 20-page pamphlet I put on Kindle so I could say I'm a published author. This is a big deal. You're saying in this case, it makes a lot of sense to have that as a separately hosted site. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I keep saying, it's 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 what's good for your user and how it's best going to just resonate for people. You know, when they when they see the activity and when they visit on the web. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I really appreciate you. Um, I really appreciate you uh, bringing all this together for us. I mean, this is this is fantastic. That was a really big question: is what do we do about the cross-domain stuff? And the answer is that you know what I'm hearing from you is. It's impossible to make the graph information align if you're using a redirect from one domain to another. I'm hearing that correctly. It, it, so yeah, at that it, point, yeah. Yeah. So at that point, yeah. you just have to decide. You have to decide how important it is for somebody to be able to type that domain, and have the graph information automatically pop up. In many cases, it's not. But if uh, in those handful of cases where you're banking your marketing strategy on it, probably worth to put up a separate website. Is what you're saying? Yes. Yep, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and again, what it comes down to is answer the SEO question by answering the human question. How would a human visitor uh, take it? How would they approach it? How would they consume it? Yeah, and and that's and no matter how what question I get asked, a lot of times that is always the simplest, right? And they always say, "Keep it simple." That is the the simplest way to really just hone in on what is the right way to go. Right. All right, uh, so uh, we have about 10 minutes left here. I know you have a little gift for our audience, and I want to give you the opportunity to share it. It's going to be very interesting. I'm very excited to get it myself. But let's ask one more final very loaded question. What to do when everything in SEO falls apart? <laughs> Regroup, right? Don't lose your mind. Regroup because, you, well, you said you like stories. Um, my first – I love stories. Know, when I started to learn SEO, I was working for an, a company, and I literally got us removed from the Google index entirely. And it was like 90% of our lead or 80% of our lead, you know, source was coming from the website because I, you know, I had optimized it, completely wiped off, gone. And it was, you know, it's it, it, that was like a, a changing moment for me because I had done something that I didn't really realize was bad. There wasn't a lot of information back there. But instead of just walking away, we regrouped. I figured out what I did wrong. I fixed it. I requested, you know, Google to reevaluate us, and we spun up a new URL. And we, I did the same thing again, and I got us right back to, you know, top ranking again. The, the SEO just doesn't die. Should you make a mistake, there are ways that you can fix it. And the first route is education, making sure that you are educated and you know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And, you know, that's your way to make sure that you don't get booted, you don't lose your mind, you don't, you know, lose all hope. Because I don't want you to lose all hope. I, like I said, everybody can learn SEO and do SEO. Um, it's just a matter of uh, having good education and making sure that you're doing the right things and for the right reasons. Yeah, and another, another thing I want to leave with, we have a moment here, and again, uh, you told me a story, I'll tell you a story. Uh, back Ten years ago, I used to own a web development firm, uh, you know, like I, I believe you have one today or something along those lines. And, uh, and uh, you know, while well, first starting out in business, you know, before you optimize and figure out who your customer avatar is, you basically take on anybody. You're starting to see where this is going already. Yep. So this was some little, this was a, some little $500 uh, one-page project, and uh, you know, we did the project and it was done, and then. Six months later, we get this frantic email from this person, which they helpfully put the word urgent in the subject line because, you know, I really <laughs> care about that. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, um, uh, I, 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 just, I just typed in my name, and that website didn't come up number one. Help, help. Oh, and people. So, yeah, so, so I just – so I, I – I, didn't really get much into it because I didn't want them to be a continuing client. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the questions I would have asked is, what have you done to market that website? Uh, is, is it included in all your blog posts? Have you done a lot of, even 10 years ago, we had a lot of social media you could have done on it. Um, have you advertised on it? Are you talking about it at your conferences and your speeches you're doing so that you get a bunch of people navigating to it? Is it, in, is it on your business cards, on your promotional materials, blah, 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 blah. And so I gave uh, the three-sentence variation of, that same question back to them because I didn't really want them back as a client, but I wanted to get them thinking in the right direction because a lot of this is stuff they could do themselves and should have been doing themselves actually. And they came back with, well, um, well, can't we just call Google and tell them to make it number one? This, this reminds me, this reminds me of a time when um, uh, we uh, changed, this is a different uh, client and we changed the, um, you know how it is being you know, in the web business. When you host a website on new hosting, you have to do these things called DNS settings, and it can take anywhere from three days to get it to propagate or an hour and a half you know how to flush your modem. Yeah. So obviously, for some users, taking a little bit longer. And, 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 Rebecca, you know how DNS works. It starts with your registrar, then it goes to your host, then it goes up the ISP, so the backbone of the Internet, all the way up to the – very apex, and it has to work its way down, and all of these things are asynchronous, and it depends on how often everybody's stuff is updating. And I actually had somebody who, uh, when I asked that, when I explained how DNS propagation works, says, well, well, have we called ICANN? Have we called the ISPs? Have we called the Internet Backbone? What are we doing to get them to make this change? <laughs> they were dead serious about it. So knowing that we've just taken this little road down sarcasm and irony, and we've made the point that there's no way you can just order search engine optimization to happen. What are some things that people should keep in mind that will help them keep their wits about them when they don't get that number one search result as fast as they had hoped or at all if they're in a really competitive market? And what they need to be doing over time to stack the deck in their favor that they're going to get the rankings that they want. So Google clearly says, and they just recently came out um, to say it again, it takes like six months to really make huge impacts for SEO on your site. When you're making things site-wide changes, it really takes you know that long to really see shifts. And we know this as SEO consultants. But the thing that people really need to understand, and this is a statement from Google too, they had it in their Getting Started Guide for SEO, is it's small incremental changes that you make that in conjunction with all of them together is what makes SEO success. So it's not just one thing right. you're going to do that's going to shift, you know, shift the the ship for you and make get you to to position 1. It's a lot of little things. It's making sure that your website's healthy. That could be your theme, it could be your hosting. You know, it could be the way that you're entering in content in your images. It's making sure that you're writing content for your visitors and it's well optimized. It's selecting the right phrases. It's getting those backlinks and doing good, and it's why I come to places like this so I can, you know, give of myself freely. So I have those indicators coming back from the search engines that someone other than my mom or my dog reads my, you know, my website <laughs> blog. You know that it's so it's a lot of little things, and and go into SEO knowing that you're going to love and nurture your website or your blog, and you're going to make these incremental improvements, and together they're going to make an impact. Don't expect that it's going to be overnight and then disappointed when you don't see yourself jump to number one. Can you rank things within a couple of weeks of page one? Yes, but it's not going to be always the case, and it's going to be in you know specific situations with a lot of focus and a lot of planning and strategy. Um, and, exactly. and and know that know that what you do uh, for SEO it's long term. The things that I did yeah. at my old company, you know, 15 years ago, some of that is still sitting on page one of Google. It's still bringing uh-huh. them in leads. That, and that's the beautiful part about SEO is, is it hard work? Yes, but it can last a decade and really continue to bring yep. in value for a decade. And that's what people need to remember going in because it makes the work much more worth it. And then it, 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 you, know, it, you feel good doing that work as opposed to being frustrated with it. Yes, and we have an hour and 15, excuse me, a minute and 15 seconds left. Now I want to give you 45 of those seconds. Tell us what you have for us. So if your listeners go to DIYSEOcourses.com slash BCR slash, they will receive a free PDF from me 
and my introduction to SEO. And then if anybody wants to take any of my courses, I have a 25% off coupon there waiting for you. So, you know, you can kind of jump in and learn SEO on your on your own because that's really what I want to do with those courses. Is so I want to empower you. I want to empower you to fish so you can go catch your own yeah. fish yourself for a lifetime. I love it. I love it. And so uh, where do they go for that? Um, that was DIYSEOcourses.com slash BCR. Okay, I just want to make sure we said that again. Well, this has been an exciting episode, and I encourage everybody to go back and listen to it again by subscribing to our iTunes channel. Rebecca Gill, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and an education. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>